around here. Captain! Signatures detected. Shields up. Signatures detected. Context Southfleet Command. What's happening? Context Southfleet Command. Delay that order. Context Southfleet Command. This is the captain. Context Southfleet Command. Get out of my chair. Chair, 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 chair. We have engaged the Klingons. Klingons. Welcome to the greatest discovery. It's a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of the greatest generation. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. Today's episode made me think a lot about dialing information. Well, it's four one one. Sure, that. <laughs> Glad you jumped in there, Ben. That's it was worth it, right? Right? Yeah. <laughs> How stressful it is to think about communicating with people you don't know the language of. Yeah, this is like this is like a baseline fear. That I've had before every single moment of foreign travel I've ever taken. I'm just <laughs> racked by this. It's funny, right? Because I'm barely comprehensible in English. And I mm-hmm. have this idea, this fear that like, what if I go to Poland and somehow they won't understand me? No one in America understands me. <laughs> the people of Puerto Vallarta, we have no reason to think that they use <laughs> language to communicate. <laughs> yeah. The servers by the pool at the Sandals in Cancun (laughs) will struggle mightily to understand my desire for three carne asada tacos. (laughs) Who's to say that this Palm Springs bartender will understand what I mean when I say pebble ice? (laughs) Yeah, I don't know if I'll ever get over that. You seem fine with this. You do a fair amount of foreign travel, and, and this doesn't seem to be a fear you've ever articulated to me. You're a real like dive head first in a foreign travel person. In <laughs> I, an uh, admirable I, way. <laughs> Maybe in a foolhardy way, but um I I think we all go through that. I think that that's a, a very natural feeling and I definitely was thinking a lot about the like the lessons in this episode about empathy and um trying to extend understanding first and how If the 10C turn out to be crazy lunatics, that won't work. No. There is no control for lunatic. Right. Current events sort of uh, weighing on my mind as I watched this episode sort of made that a hard thought to ignore. Right. You want to sort of depend with strangers on like that baseline amount of, it it seems silly to say in Star Trek, but like a baseline level of humanity. The very name is racist. Right. But I think you understand my point. (laughs) Yeah. For lack of better terminology, I get what you're saying, Adam. I'm offended by it, but I I roughly understand the point you're trying to make. It would be amazing if by the end of this season, it all leads up to this first contact and the 10C just are lunatics. <laughs> and the lesson of the entire season was like, you can try your hardest, but there is no fixing crazy. <laughs> Sometimes there are people that are just giant assholes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, and it just proves Tarka right. <laughs> Tarka's like, you know, like in many ways, what the 10C did was genius, but. <laughs> yeah. It's like, really, Targa? Jeez. This is the penultimate episode, is it not? No, we got two more. It's a 13-episode season? Yeah, I think I think it's... A, didn't you just share the, the schedule? I did, but I had a mini-stroke as soon as I did. So. <laughs> oh, no, I'm sorry to hear it. Yeah, it looks like Discovery uh, 413. Yeah, a 13-episode season. Yeah. 
is what we're getting. So it's the pen penultimate. That's right. It's the air of penultimate episode. Well, it's a good thing because we're just counting down every fucking hour. Every minute of every hour, these last few episodes are accounted yeah. for. These are telling the story in real time as yeah. uh, <laughs> we get closer and closer to Earth and Navarre being destroyed. Seems seems like we're just talking about the episode at this point. Should we jump right in? Yeah. As like me going overseas to a country where I don't speak the language? Yeah, let's get in our lay-flat seats and discuss <laughs> Star Trek Discovery Season 4, Episode 11, Rosetta. There's 29 hours left. That's the headline at the beginning of this episode. I mean, at this point, if they blow up this DMA and up pops the third version, version <laughs> 3, got to be fewer hours left than that, right? Because that one's really <laughs> going to chew through the fucking farmland of the galaxy. <laughs> it's going to be one revved up DMA. Birds have died. What does this thing want? What does this thing want? DMA. That hopper is going to be full in no time. The captain's log is kind of about how the hyperfield surrounding the space that the Tennessee inhabit it makes what's beyond them a total unknown, which is kind of maddening for her, given her specialty as a xenobiologist. And so uh, the goal in this episode is go down to this nearby planet that we established the existence of at the end of the last episode and see if we can find some crap. Cultural context. That will give us an idea of who we're dealing with. Who the fuck are you? There's a shot during the captain's log where it shows the planet and then the camera pans over to the star that the planet is in orbit of and it has these like Dyson rings and then the camera just pans back. This moment drove me crazy. <laughs> like a big part of Burnham's log is like, now I know everyone is really excited about this Dyson ring planet and uh, I am too. Just, just look at this thing. But uh, we really need to concentrate on this boring as hell looking planet that we're in orbit of. <laughs> There has got to be an answer on the dead planet and not the rings surrounding the sun. I wondered if Tarka lays eyes on these rings and goes, oh, there's my power source. I don't care anything about what's going on with the 10C now. Are you completely with it on all of the pieces on this chessboard? The shit's chess, it ain't checkers. There's the dead planet, there's the rings, there's the energy shield around the power source where the 10C live. Is that all of them? Is that Are those all the concerns? Yeah. There's the DMA back at home, but that's not germane to this specific mission. The rings being made out of material similar to the DMA controller seems to indicate that this planet was once inhabited by the same people. And it was. It, this is the core of what was formerly a gas giant. The, the reason they're not going after the rings is because they're not ready to talk yet, right? They're kind of avoiding the 10C in case the 10C are, are inside the rings, which they would have to be, right? Like, why else would you build... Dyson rings. I mean, it could just be like, uh, they could just be solar panels, you know? I guess. I guess. I don't know. <laughs> don't ask me. I didn't build them. This dead planet is the mission yeah. of the day. And it's Saru, Burnham, Detmer, and Culber getting a the right stuff walk on their way to the mission. They really do. Slow motioning to the away mission. Detmer is really serving badass in this walk. She got to go out in, in the lead until Adira had to slow, slow her down and give a cool compliment. I just want you to know, I think I think you're the 
best ever. But this is also the last time that we're going to see Kayla Detmer's contact lens not like listing God. disturbingly to the side of her eyeball. We're going to get into that a little later. I did enjoy Adira's Mean Joe Green Coca-Cola commercial moment here. <laughs> Detmer does not give Adira the jersey no. off of her back on her way to the mission. Uh, instead, just sort of like smirks at the awkward choice of words that Adira has here. We've all done this. Yeah. You uh, you catch up with someone you admire, and then you just fumble fuck your words <laughs> on out of your mouth. We're all this kind of nerd at some point. Yeah. <laughs> Adira is basically convention goer at any science fiction convention who has, mm-hmm. who is starting a conversation with someone at a table. <laughs> we have much to convey and no idea how to do so. We get the same graphic of the hyperfield over on Book's ship where he and Tarka are looking over it. And Tarka is advocating for a way of looking at the at the Tarka scheme as a win-win for everyone. <laughs> like, like, we're going to go in there, we're going to shut down the DMA. That that should have been the plan from jump. And uh, the catastrophic blowback of the last time we tried something has deterred me 0%. I still totally believe that this is the right way of doing this. But they have a problem, which is while they got through the galactic barrier, no problem, they do not have a plan for getting into the hyperfield. The plan that they hatch in this scene has to do with them attaching book ship to the disco as kind of a, what is that, like a feeder fish? Yeah, yeah. He's at great pains to say that this is not a parasite. It does not consume anything from the, the transworm to which it attaches. Tarka is at first reluctant to make this comparison and then fully commits to the idea of there being kind of a numbing spray solution to this. And if we just spray (laughs) one of the nacelles of the discovery, Zora will not feel the sensation of our ships touching, thus prolonging the mission far longer than it would usually go. (laughs) When When you get to be a ship of book's age, right. These missions can end pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, uh, you know, Book's ship is is ridged also, yeah. so, it's, you know, generates a lot of friction. Yeah. The trouble is, uh, you got to you gotta do the spray from the inside, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. which sounds way more, like way more trouble than it's worth. So they're going to go behind enemy lines to do their sea storyline. Right. Uh, that's a, a big risky plan and Book really wants to go. Tarka doesn't think it's a great idea for Book to go because what if he sees Michael Burnham? He might fall back in love and yeah. that would fuck up Tarka's whole situation. Yeah. Uh, hasn't really been a concern up until now, though. No. <laughs> Probably going to be fine. Yeah. Seems like if anything, neither of them really cares what the other one thinks at this point. <laughs> that suspicion has been tested every episode this season and things have worked out fine. <laughs> Yeah. The plot has worked so far. Yeah. Uh, so the right stuff are heading down to the shuttle bay where Rillick pulls Captain Burnham aside and is like, hey, so a um, little bit weirded out by the two senior officers on this mission going on this extremely long shot away mission with uh, no security officer and just Detmer and... Culber to go with you. What do you think about maybe hanging back or having Zaru hang back? I think she's concerned about line of succession at this point, right? 
you put all your captains in play, yeah. all of a sudden, Rillick becomes less of a mission chaperone and more of a <laughs> de facto captain of the ship. As you said, a lot at stake here. Yeah. But this is not what Burnham tells her. She's like, you're going to be fine. One of the bridge officers has got the con <laughs> now. And... uh and I know, I know her name. Yeah. I know I know her name, but I cannot. <sighs> Nielsen? It's not quite Nielsen. Right. Nelson? <sighs> Lieutenant Promhair will, will be in the big chair. <laughs> You'll recognize her if you go. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that Dr. Harai was a great choice for this away mission because they've talked about how he's this like linguistics genius. I thought the same thing. In other words, make the trip count. Instead, it's Saru. Yeah. I guess Dr. Harai can't kick as savagely as Saru, so maybe that's why Yeah, Saru gets the go-ahead. Yeah, the good doctor does not have the mule kick reach. <laughs> like a boxer has a reach, right? R- right, oh yeah. Saru's got leg reach. Saru is rangy. I do not yet see how we might make use of this for first contact. Is this why Dr. Harai is, I mean, I don't think he's upset. I think this is just his personality yeah. in this scene. Yeah, the don't fuck it up. Message yeah. from him gets a little side eye from President Relic. He's the Keith David of Armageddon in this scene. <laughs> Was I talking to you? Yeah. General Ndoye has some reservations as well, which, uh, unlike President Relic, Ndoye expresses in public. I must voice my dismay at this decision. Yikes. Ndoye and Burnham don't have a rich history of undermining each other in front of the crew, so they didn't have a, a prior conversation about this. I love how later Rillick blames Dr. Harai for Ndoye saying this. Like, <laughs> you can blame Ndoye. She's yeah. acting of her own volition here. Like, yeah. Maybe Ndoye did lose her nerve a little bit because of what Harai said, but that was because her nerve was already yeah. <laughs> on the knife edge, right? Right. Anyways. Burnham is like, cool, thanks for your feedback, but- Let's go. Doesn't even break stride, basically, right. on their way out to the shuttle. We're off. We walked all the way down here so that we could beam the last 10 feet onto the shuttle. (laughs) (laughs) That's so great. (laughs) You could beam from anywhere. (laughs) Like as soon as you finish putting on your boots, you could beam onto that shuttle. Or before. (laughs) Yeah. What difference does it make? I mean, we could have hollow president, hollow hurray, hollow general on the shuttle. Yeah. For this entire trip. That's our cold open, Adam. Yeah. They're off. After the theme, we are descending through the atmosphere of this dead, dead planet. Why do these things always happen to me? Yeah. Another bumpy shuttle ride. And on their way down, they're they're scanning the surface. The planet got fucked up uh, by bombardment by asteroids. At the same time as the envelope was created, they have a time scale on both of these, and it was very similar timing. A thousand years ago is when this happened. Interesting timing. Well, I mean, drawing a a causation conclusion from this is useful, right? They're starting to put together a picture of of a race in danger. Yeah. Having to flee their planet. But they don't seem to make the connection that a thousand years ago is about when the discovery came from. Right. No one articulates that. Yeah. I, I mean, like, anytime somebody says 1,000 years on this show, it, like, makes my spidey senses tingle. And right. I was I was kind of surprised it didn't make any of theirs. And I wondered <laughs> if that is, it is just a coincidence or if it is the writers kind of trying to bury the lead there. 
they turn over a, a bone on the planet and it's Michael Burnham's mom again. Like, God, <laughs> every time. <laughs> Gabby, Jesus. <laughs> so this is a very dead planet. There's some structures on the surface. They're going to go check out one of the few buildings that is still standing. Um, but they're walking through just a scorched desert on their way there. And um, as they're walking, you get some nice overhead shots that show that there are little patches of sparkly blue stuff on the ground. Right. Saru walks right through one of these. One thing I thought about while I was watching this episode compositionally was how we're up above them when they're on the planet surface. Yeah. But we're at their level when they're inside the cave. Right. And I was trying to think about why that choice was made. And I think where I landed was that like- up above, wide shot in a space cave is space jockey shot. Yeah. Like, I don't know if you could separate the aliens vibes from a moment like that. And so by staying at eye level with everyone inside, oh, really I think you remove that possibility. Yeah. But you do get like very territorial wide shots here on the, you know, outside the cave on the surface where you get to see these colored dusts. There are two director credits on this episode and I kind of feel like there may have been other episodes this season that had that. Yeah. And I wonder if that is, you know, one director doing some of the episode and another director doing other parts of the episode, or if they're a directing team. I would guess that one director is on the set and one director is on location, maybe. Uh, yeah, maybe. Yeah. It's interesting. I really like seeing those wide overhead shots. Uh, yeah. But then we go super close up on Saru, who is having a total freak out. He is... Just shit in his spacesuit. Something is wrong here. He says he's fine, but no one is fine who acts like that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think it's okay that they <laughs> that they take it as face value. Yeah. I was worried he was going to take his helmet off at one point because he puts his hands up like he's going to. Yeah. Everything's probably fine. In spite of Saru's freak out, there's just a giant bone in the ground ahead. <laughs> yeah. Do you think that this is a better day for Doug Jones or a worse day for Doug Jones, like costume and makeup wise? I was thinking the same thing. I think it's better because you don't have to put his hands on. Last thing to worry about. I mean, it's basically just face, meatloaf, and helmet. Right. <laughs> what they need to do is find some amber-preserved planetary DNA right. on this planet. <laughs> then they could... They can make an amusement park. Mm -hmm. They could commingle the 10C DNA with that of frogs. <laughs> Hold on to your butts. I like it. Book and Tarka get ready to go on their on their away mission. They put like kind of like where the mobile emitter goes on the Doctor and Voyager. They put these little arm patches on that are going to hide their bio signs from Zora when they go over because the patch that they need to put on the ship is designed to trick Zora into thinking that they are not clamping Book's ship onto the belly of the disco. And right. uh, Tarka has come up with this, these gadgets really quickly. They need these things to sneak around when they get over there. It's weird. Like you can only buy this stuff in like an adult bookstore <laughs> or like online. This is not something you find at a Walgreens. No. Yeah. But I mean, what's weird is that like Tarka insists that it have a flavor uh -huh. and it really doesn't need a flavor. Yeah, nobody cares about that, Tarka. That's like yeah. a that's like a weird <laughs> amateur hour request to be making. Oros really preferred 
raspberry. So, <laughs> I mean, it's just a personal preference for me. Yeah. They beam over Crouched, which is yeah. fun. They crouched because they are beaming over to Jeffrey's tubes, and right. uh, they're gonna—they kind of sneak around in the in the walls and and uh, sewers the entire episode. And they're heading for engineering when we cut back to the planet where the away team is doing science on these bones, and uh, Saru is still just like fully wishing he could hang gang <laughs> at the back of his helmet. <laughs> Yeah, he's having those pre-ganglia feelings. He really is. Yeah, he says he senses the coming of death, which he hasn't in, in quite some time. Yeah. Poor guy. Yeah. They describe what they're standing in as a 10C mass grave. These bones are not the only ones there, and it seems like... Bone, 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 bone. <laughs> Tell me what you're gonna do. When there's no place to hide, <laughs> when Tansy comes for you, <laughs> meet you inside the hyperfield. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, like maybe they tried to evacuate the planet, but they couldn't save everyone. Kind of a deal. Yeah. And uh, if the Tansy are like a gas giant species who lived in the gas. <laughs> this rocky planet certainly couldn't have uh, supported life after whatever knocked all the gas away from it. So No. Now, asteroid bombardment would really fuck up that gas. Yeah. And all the creatures flying in it. So they decide to head into the structure. Uh, they don't have a lot of time. We uh, cut to commercial. Got to sell these people these products. <laughs> <laughs> when we come back, we're in the hotel lobby of the disco. And new favorite character, Dr. Harai, is there. Enjoying the free nuts mm -hmm. <laughs> when President Rillick walks up. He is in big trouble for acting like Stamets used to. Yeah. And President Rillick tells him, we don't do that anymore. <laughs> She's like, oh, I see you're uh, on the New York Times crossword puzzle app. Have they, have they added Wordle to that yet? And he's like, huh? <laughs> yeah. I don't play that shit. <laughs> Dr. Harai, this is a ship of kindness and consideration. Moving forward. I would like you to exercise a bit more tact. <laughs> you better get with the program here. Yeah. She is pretty pissed off at him. And basically she's saying like, listen, I'm like holding the fucking moods of everyone on this ship together with both hands. And you making cavalier comments like that just helps nobody. So maybe think before you talk. Dr. Harai is sort of the moody ombudsman of this show. <laughs> like, I feel like he's sizing up Burnham and the mission and everything and is just free yeah. to say what's on his mind <laughs> in a way that I think is kind of refreshing. I think this show needs a Dr. Harai to kind of poke holes in the vibe that we've gotten for the entire season. Yeah. I'm not sure how we can help with their lack of perspective on that. He's not cruel. No, he's just a little, like, socially different from everyone else. Right. And I could also see why Rillick really hates that he's doing that, because she has a very, like, specific approach to managing everybody's morale and somebody poking holes in that left and right just because he doesn't really care about her approach is has got to be super frustrating. Right, but but for Rillick to chastise Dr. Harai about like being the inspiration for the general's outburst in the shuttle bay, I I think is like missing the target. 
Yeah, yeah. She's aiming in the wrong direction. Right. The scene also sort of had the vibes of like a law and order interview. Right. You know, like the guy is like unloading a pallet in a warehouse and they're like, so uh, where were you the night that the murder took place? You're like, well, I could tell you a thing or two about it, but I'm going to keep working while I do it. <laughs> like, really, man? You're not going to put the puzzle down when the fucking president comes up to chew you out? That's funny. That's a thought that I didn't have because I think the president has been on the ship long enough to where she does not get the respect that is usually conveyed toward the president. Like no yeah. one stands aside and salutes. Well, we've talked about how she doesn't have a like an entourage also. Yeah. And I feel like if she walked in with a bunch of like people keeping her schedule and, and stuff, right. it would feel different. Yeah. There's no host at this hotel bar either. And yeah. I feel like when a president walks in, <laughs> You're deserving of that level of service, right? Absolutely. So in the Jeffrey's Tubes book and Tarka spend a minute spying on Ndoye and Trina who are in the mess hall having a conversation about what they're doing. Ndoye pissed that they are delaying anything uh, to do with contacting the 10C and you know, Trina kind of writing for like, yeah, it's like actually not a terrible idea to like see if we could learn one or two things before we knock on their front door. Kind of a weird scene here. Like their ability to eavesdrop is really interesting, yeah. but like the first person they lock in on is Reese, and neither of them recognize who Reese is. <laughs> and like Reese is having his own conversation yeah, and no one cares. Uh, nobody cares about that one. <laughs> it's almost like uh, being a bridge crew member doesn't entitle you to like privileged information. Who is this? <laughs> Who are they talking to? <laughs> no one cares. So Ndoye walks off in a huff and Book and Tarka continue their hands and knees crawl. And we cut to inside the structure down on the planet, which is very spooky very haunted feeling. Lots of like floaty objects that look like, I don't know, like fossilized jellyfish almost. I thought the same thing, but you never really get a shot on any of them to determine yeah. if they're suspended or just floating or how dense they are. Yeah. I was very curious about this. It's a really nice design. This feels very unique and, and original. It's not the same old Star Trek caves and it's not the bizarre alien bazaar that we visit sometimes in disco episodes. As effects go, it really plays great. Yeah. I thought you really get a sense of the space. It does not betray itself as an effect yeah. the way these scenes sometimes can. Yeah. Saru does not seem to be getting better. And in taking him off to the side to try and help him, Culber succumbs to the same thing. Culber is now having the same panic attack that Saru is having. So uh, our, our away team members are sort of dropping like flies at this point. I really think it helps that the terror is all POV instead yeah. of, you see so little of it from the outside, like from another character's perspective. You really experience this as Culber and previously as Saru. And I think that really helps D Hammett. Yeah. If you're watching this all the time from another person's perspective, I think it could look cheesy, but I think that the terror feels far more real when you're when you're made to feel it. They did a really nice job with that. Like there's that one cut when they're still outside of the wide shot of Saru like having his freak mm -hmm. out and it does look a little bit silly, but you spend so yeah. little time with it. It's just there to 
remind you, the viewer, like what this looks like from the outside. And it's emphasized by the reaction of other people. So like not only are you POV and not only are you seeing the effect that's creating the terror, you're also getting the reaction from another crew person watching you feel this way. Yeah. So it's like a compounding amount of terror happening here. It's really well done. I agree. But this appears to be something that's transferable. That's something that we learn in this scene. Yeah. Was it like Culber touching Saru or something? And like, if so, like, how is it getting through a spacesuit? And that's pretty scary. You feel like you can maybe relax your space helmet mandate on an away mission like this. And then you just, you just catch this thing right away. That's what yeah. you get. Brutal. On the ship, Book and Tarka come out into a hallway. Did you understand why this hallway had this kind of like cascade of blinking lights <laughs> thing going on in it? I did not. Not besides making it look interesting. I mean, it did look interesting, but I was like, why would you, why would the lights be doing that? I was too busy wondering why this corridor had a laundry chute <laughs> that they emerged from. But no hamper, like nothing, no. nothing for the clothes to fall into when they come out of the laundry chute. You can't have everything. Have you ever lived in a building where you put your trash in the thing and it flies down the 30 stories? Like that seems like I a have. very New York thing. Yeah, absolutely. What is that like? It's great. It's it's the best. I mean, the one context in which it sucks is if you realize you threw something away by accident and then you're like, it's gone forever, man. There's like, who even knows where that chute goes to? Did you ever put your trash out into the chute and have another person's trash hit it from above? <laughs> Did that ever happen? I don't think I ever saw that happen. So for for a period of time, you would never take your garbage cans out to the curb or whatever. Your your trash would just go into a hole in the building. Yeah, you don't you, once it's down the chute, you never have to think about it again. Does the hole smell? Yes, it smells awful. Whoa. Yeah. I have so many more questions. <laughs> if you live next to the chute, yeah. like it's loud for you, right? You don't want to choose an apartment next to the chute? Uh, I never had one next to the chute, so I don't know. But it, it doesn't, like, it doesn't, I don't think people use it quite often enough for it to be like a problem. Did you have to get uh, special garbage bags to use the chute so they no. wouldn't tear open? Whatever, whatever garbage bags you got, wow. that'll do. What was the worst thing that you ever lost down the chute that you couldn't get back? I think I accidentally threw a GameCube game down, oh. down the chute. Did you ever go down to the very bottom where the chutes landed for any reason? And what was that room like? It was like not accessible to the public. Yeah, they don't want anyone to see that. Yeah. <laughs> but they just all went into a giant dumpster? Yeah, I, I imagine. I don't know. I have no optics on what was at the bottom of that chute. Was there a recycle chute and a garbage chute or just a garbage chute? There was just a, it was like a little room. So there was like a door that you open and there was the chute and then there was a bin and you put your recycling in the bin. Is this just a, do tall, <laughs> do all tall buildings have this or is this just a New York thing? And um, how many stories do you need to have a chute you think? I don't know. <laughs> You're treating me like I'm the chute expert and I'm just not. I really think you are. I mean, of this show you are. <laughs> I wish I had a shoot now, but I live in a one-story house. It, it wouldn't make any sense. I know, but that it sounds fun. All I want is dumb waiters and shoots, you know? Yeah. I mean, my house up in Seattle had a shoot, but it was covered up. Oh. I had a very oh. old house up there that I lived in, and it totally had a, a laundry shoot. Yeah. 
but we never got to use it. That's too bad. I know. You see those like uh, vacuum actuated laundry hampers on uh, TikTok, you know, where people install like central laundry hamper. (laughs) That sounds great. (laughs) It's so fucking absurdly wasteful, but great. (laughs) Once you go garbage chute, you can't turn that into laundry chute. No. That that shoots forever unclean. Yeah, it's like pooping in your RV. <laughs> Fire in the hole! <laughs> well, we edited out about 20 more minutes of shoot talk Yeah, <laughs> before getting back into the app. That'll be in the bonus feed, uh, yeah. our, new, our new podcast concept, shoot talk with Ben and Adam. Yeah. So Tarka and Book are in this corridor, out in the open, Yeah. in this flashy corridor, and uh, the problem is there's three people in engineering they need to distract. Or one of them could chat up General Endoye about the plan. <laughs> like, is, is now a good time right in the middle of a corridor to propose a change in yeah. plans here? And Tark is like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> like, let's just split up. I don't even care what you do. Are these blinky <laughs> lights getting to you, Book? Like, what's going on here? <laughs> I don't care what you do, Book. I just don't want to talk about it here. Yeah. So I'm going to go install the patch, and you can go on your side mission. So off Book goes, off Tarka goes, and we go back down to the planet where Detmer's uh, weird eye is getting really wonky in her spacesuit. I'm here because Dumbledore asked me. End of story. Goodbye. The end. Any questions? I got a question about this. Yeah. I think this is a costume problem, is it not? Is this not an effect that the helmets are doing to them? I didn't think it was with any intention. Like, I didn't think this was a suggestion that they were feeling the powders in a kind of way. Oh, no. I think their helmets are walleyeing their eyes. My theory was that Detmer's contact lens needs to be adjusted and having it under the face mask meant that they couldn't adjust it uh, in between cuts. I got to disagree, man, because everyone's eyes on the surface when shot up close, like when shot from the chest to the top of the head, everyone's eyes are walleyeing. Oh, really? I, yeah. I, I really noticed it on Detmer and I didn't really notice it on anybody else. So Yeah. I mean, her, her contacts might have made it yeah. look even worse. Yeah, but. maybe that's what's going on. But yeah, so it's up to her and Burnham because <laughs> now Culber and Saru are both having the freak outs. Yeah. And then- Burnham gets the breakouts. <laughs> it's funny, like how scary it is for Burnham to finally get the freak out. Yeah. And how almost equally scary it is for Detmer to not be feeling it. Like the the expectation of freak out. Yeah. I'm alone with the panic club. Yeah. Yeah. And and Detmer's like, maybe Rillick was right. Maybe we shouldn't have sent the two captains <laughs> and the physician down here. This is bad. No one thinks to beam themselves back to the shuttle. Their plan at this point is to just leave Detmer here. The three crazy ones are going to go walk off together to try to retrace their steps to see if they stepped on a fear landmine or something. Did you get the reason for this? They just, they're like, we got to figure what happened to us in the next five minutes. And I mean, it doesn't seem like Detmer goes anywhere or they go anywhere. Like they just kind of like... Yeah, you don't want to trip another emotional tripwire, you know? You got it. I spent a lot of last week sick in bed. And one thing I was so happy I had when I needed something to eat but didn't really have the energy to cook myself something was Factor Meals. 
Got a couple of these in the fridge at all times, and they are delicious, fresh, never frozen, chef-crafted meals. And they're ready to go in just about two minutes. And this is convenience food that is actually tasty and full of real ingredients and not hyper-processed crap. And they got you covered all throughout the day. They got pancakes, smoothies, grab-and-go bites, and uh, you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause and reschedule deliveries at any time. So head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use code trek50 to get 50% off. That's code trek50 at factormeals.com slash trek50 to get 50% off. What do you think of when you think of male grooming? Maybe it's a sharp haircut and a little bit of product, or a bit of the old beard wax twisted into the ends of a mustache. Maybe it's a shower, a shave, a little spritz of fragrance. Me? I think of shaving my nuts. And not just my nuts, all around those nuts. I'm talking all around those nuts. And this form of male grooming is hard to do when your junk looks like a log of Play-Doh rolled through a dustpan in a barber shop. It's wrinkly, it's wriggly, nothing stays in place, and it's the one area where you don't want to have an accident. That's why I'm glad we're sponsored by the spring cleaning champions at Manscaped. They sent me their brand new lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. It's their fifth generation trimmer, featuring two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blade heads, a standard one for taking a little bit off the top, and a new foil blade to go smooth, wherever your heart desires. They also sent me an extra-large Manscaped t-shirt, which I will never wear, but it was nice of them to do. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. Nothing like a little spring cleaning in your pants. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. My people were biologically determined for one purpose alone. To sense the coming of death. What? To sense the coming of death. This doesn't make any sense. I sense it coming down. None of it makes any sense. Sounds like nonsense to me. Back up on the ship, 
Tarka is looking in on engineering where Jet Reno is hanging out. Too long in between yeah. Jet Reno sightings. Jet's order at the replicator is a triple shot. This is something that disgusts Adira, I guess. <laughs> Adira's like, that's oh, too late in the day. I'd be up all night. <laughs> Adira is pretty distracted by their embarrassing last words said at Detmer. And Detmer is revealed to be kind of a hero figure to Adira, who doesn't know quite how to grapple with being in close proximity to someone you feel that way about, like at the workplace. Adira is pretty quick to disabuse Jet Reno of the idea that they have a little bit of a crush on Detmer. Mm -hmm. But I think that Adira has a crush on Detmer. (laughs) Does it always have to be a crush, though? I I just... I I I kind of have crush fatigue. Ben, I think that's where I'm at. (laughs) I just felt like it seemed like Adira was kind of denying it because they didn't want to admit it even to themselves. Yeah. But yeah, so Jet Reno's like, yeah, like you just got to like be cool around Detmer and get get to know Detmer and maybe some of that Detmer swagger will rub off. Jet's advice seems like jokey on the surface, but the more you think about it, it is great advice. Don't be creepy is great advice. Pro tip. Yeah. Most people know how not to act creepy. Yeah. And as long as you do that, you're going to be okay in most situations. Yeah. Not everyone needs a reminder, but maybe a deer does. (laughs) If you feel like you need a reminder, you definitely need a reminder. (laughs) So the two of them walk out of the scene and back up in the Jeffrey's tube. Tarka gets very interested in looking at the replicator pad. That gives him a great idea. Right. Back in the cave, they start to run down the possibilities for what they're going through. Is it the touching? We touched each other. Is that why this terror is spreading amongst us? Well, no. I mean, no one touched Michael Burnham when she started feeling it. Is it an inside-outside thing? Yeah. Well, it can't be that either because they were, like, some of them were outside and some of them were in the cave when they started to get seized by this feeling. Is it the dust? It's such a weird acting challenge that they have to be in a state of panic, but also trying to like reason through it. Yeah. And I think that they all did a really nice job with this like weird mix of feelings to be expressing. Yeah. The sort of compromised logic. Right. And, but they, they do kind of hit on something that this weird dust that they walked through, it doesn't just make radishes grow in a strange way. (laughs) It also may be getting through the filters on their suits because it's not in the Federation database. And Detmer is able to uh, throw together an upgrade to the programmable matter system. It says programmable matter is ready to be updated. And she clicks the little link and it relaunches. This is great. And uh, suddenly the, the panic goes away. Feeling fine once again. They've been doing rails of fear blow. I mean... I haven't personally done fear blow before, but isn't all blow fear blow, <laughs> depending on the circumstances? Yeah, depending on your uh, your state of mind when uh, yeah. somebody invites you to the bathroom at the club. Right, right. You'll figure it out. The scene ends with uh, Burnham finding something interesting on the map to go look at. So they all head in that direction while we head back to engineering and find Linus chatting up Reno. There is a weird replicator issue that is stumping him. Steamed bananas. Yeah. Superintendent Chalmers not believing that this is a steamed banana situation. Yes, they are obviously grilled. I really liked, you know, sabotaging the replicators 
it didn't hit me what a big problem that would be. Yeah. Until Jet Reno kind of sketched it out to the rest of the people in engineering. If we lose replicators out here, we starve to death. And then I was like, oh shit, like this is actually a nightmare. Right. So they, they kind of scramble everybody that they have on hand to fix the replicators. And that clears the coast for Charka. Yeah. You see, he's got engineering to himself and uh, he can start pulling panels off and getting to work on installing his patch. Out in a different corridor, General Ndoye has arrived at her meeting with who she believes is going to be Trina. Yeah. She did not check the uh, email that that request was sent from. Yeah. She fell for a classic phishing attack. and uh, It's a good thing she's got that secret knife on her. Yeah. That thing is scary as hell. <laughs> Buying a United Earth knife <laughs> would be pretty fun at a convention, except you couldn't fly home with it yeah. easily. You'd have to put it in your checked luggage, I guess. No one's going to be selling weapons at the merch table either. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. Yeah. It's pretty cool looking though. It is. So Book has a, a proposal for her. Like, we're going to be coming through. Nobody's going to know about us but you. I want you to just kind of keep us apprised of the situation so uh, we can, you know, we're going to shut off the DMA. <laughs> we're going to go get that power source. And uh, I, I know that that's like the course of action you would have done if you'd been in charge. So be our secret helper aboard Discovery. Keep lines of communication open. I had a real hard time with this scene because the proposition is all downside. Book thinks he can trust Indoye because of a eavesdropped conversation from the mess hall earlier. And from her voting history. But the danger to him and Tarka is increased tenfold by involving Ndoye. Right. Like there is no- He doesn't have any leverage to keep her from revealing them to anybody else. And not only that, like what what does this moment represent to her politically or militarily? Like is this treason by not reporting Book's presence on the ship at this point? Like her ass is grass if it is revealed that she knew Book was on the ship and she didn't say anything, right? I don't know. I mean, she's not there as part of the Federation, so it's sort of up to her to like... But it is a scandal yeah. if it's if this is ever revealed. I mean, it's not going to matter much if Navarre and Earth get destroyed in the next 29 hours. That's true. And Ndoye can stab anyone who would question her... Yeah. Decision making here. But the other problem with this is that like Book is saying like, okay, like we'll we'll do our plan as the backup so that, you know, the first contact can be the the first thing that gets tried. But he has not been able to control Tarka since Tarka came aboard his ship. Like Book can't make any promises about what his ship or Tarka will do. Right. Yeah. Like Tarka's been a like full wild card from the moment he walked into frame. He is a not equal partner to the mission that he's on either. Yeah. I don't like it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think it's a bad decision. Yeah. For everyone involved. Seems like Book isn't even chaotic good. He's, he's verging on chaotic dumb. Yeah. What? 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 Sounds like nothing. What is going on? Run! Why? Go! Why? I'm trying to save you. This ship isn't going anywhere. Run! Why? Why? I'm trying to save all of you. Who are you? Back on the scary cave mission, Culber has found where the babies come from. This doesn't make any sense. And the thinking is they can use this knowledge in a conversation with the 10C. Like, a lot of the talk on the planet is like this, right? Like, 
hey, we got some giant soft bones out here. Right. Maybe we can use that in a conversation. <laughs> we noticed you have bones. Or, wow, <laughs> this colored powder is interesting. Maybe we could bring that up. Or, hey, we found baby sarcophagus. Yeah. Uh, maybe that is something that they'd be willing to discuss in a first contact mission. And I don't really get the contextual value of this knowledge. I mean, it sort of just seems like they're grasping at straws, but like everything yeah. they've discovered about the 10C so far on this away mission is like the same as what they discovered about the Borg the first time they went aboard a Borg cube, you know? Right. It's like, they care for their young. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no shit. <laughs> that wasn't exactly a, a check in the good column where the, where the Borgs were involved, right? It was not. <laughs> yeah. But uh, they also find that the sarcophaguses of the babies have different dust on them, and they turn off their filters and get high as fuck. Drugs can make you feel good. Yeah, everyone's got to hit this. Saru's never felt anything like this. You know, if you're a first-timer like Detmer is in this moment, you don't want to take too much. Yeah, you want to kind of ease in. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, what Detmer's going through is a big reason why, having some big feelings in this moment. Yeah. These are recreational drugs made for Star Trek Discovery because <laughs> they are just feelings amplifiers, right? Yeah. It's a four-way trauma exchange like we've yeah. never seen before on the show. <laughs> yeah. It's a trauma orgy and everyone's brought a pineapple. Yeah. But they do make some scientific observations also. Like these are feelings that seem to transcend species. If Saru can feel them the same way that humans can, then maybe there's a basis of communicating with the 10C based on feelings dust. This has got to be the stuff that they're railing in the disco writer's room, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe they cut up a little bit of uh, the blue dust and a little bit of the pink dust. Yeah. Like, so. uh, feel a little bit of panic and trauma, feel a little bit of love and being held. This is a major discovery on this mission. Mm -hmm. So they've decided to pack up the dust and, and put it into yeah. some little baggies, bring it back <laughs> to the ship. And and that's the, where they made the big mistake, is putting it into little baggies means intent to distribute, and that's a much bigger charge. Right, right. One big baggie is the move at this point, right? Yeah, don't fucking bag it up into little baggies you're just <laughs> betraying yourselves obviously duh jet reno comes back into engineering annoyed as hell that somebody's playing pranks on the replicators and catches tarka hiding under the table is this jet reno just having a super sensory workplace experience like you always know if something's moved on your desk <laughs> or does jet reno have a power because she walks right over to Tarka like she knew he'd be there. Yeah. I wondered why she didn't panic or try to like run for a phaser or anything. Like So much happens off screen too. Yeah, maybe maybe she does. Yeah, who knows? But yeah, we don't we don't see that because we cut back to the planet where they're getting ready to go. They collect their samples. They're like, okay, so like this is probably something like pheromones for the 10C. They get back aboard the shuttle. Culber's like, is that why it smells like raspberries? It's actually, <laughs> you know, the smell actually reminds me of a spray that I'm, that I'm familiar with. <laughs> they get back aboard the shuttle and Detmer's like, hey, Cap, I'm really sorry about how I had a little freak out down there. Captain is like, normally people apologizing or, you know, being vulnerable with what they're feeling is totally welcome on this show. But in this moment, no, 
I'm going to demote you if you go any further with this. <laughs> this is so discovery, right? <laughs> I feel like if the TNG crew felt what the discovery crew feels yeah. on their away missions, every episode of TNG would be 40 minutes longer. <laughs> <laughs> and I really, I like the spirit of Michael Burnham here going like, you don't have to apologize. We were all doing the desk together. Like yeah. <laughs> we all, we all did the thing, but like at a certain point we got to be professional, right? Yeah. Like it doesn't always have to be an emotional moment followed by an apology for having an emotional moment. Like we're on an away mission. Yeah. It's fine. Sometimes you have a bad night of drinking and it just doesn't sit well, you know? Yeah. I would be more concerned about Culber taking that one last hit while everyone's back was turned. <laughs> I mean, that Culber's the guy you invite to a party and then a couple of your bottles are missing at the end of the night, you know? Yeah. Culber doesn't know when enough is enough. And, yeah. Uh, they're flying back. They have kind of an interesting conversation about like, okay, so like we found some interesting stuff about the 10C and it seems like they like have a society and organize their species in some ways and some of them fly do they all fly yeah because they live in a gas giant right that's my theory uh, do they look like these jellyfish in the cave is that what we're made to believe i hope we find out the discussion turns to like we don't know if they care, you know, like they, right. they seem to care about themselves, but what if the 10C DGAF, the DMA is MBS? <laughs> Indeed. MBS is an abbreviation for making books sad. Oh, all right. That makes me look bad. I didn't even ask what it meant. I just accepted that what you said made any sense. <laughs> I mean, we all make our attempts at having the title in different ways. <laughs> there is a like an E storyline in this, which is uh, Dr. Harai's bedside manner storyline. Yeah. I mean, it may be E for you, but it's probably B for me. <laughs> I really like this guy. Yeah, but I'm just saying like the amount of screen time it gets is... Uh, yeah, exactly. It's not A or B. No. And it doesn't even really feel like C, but he's like, hey, good job. Well, gee, that's, that's great work, kid. <laughs> it's <laughs> Dr. Harai has like the emotional Molotov cocktail in, in one hand and like a lighter in the other. <laughs> that's not how the Rosetta Stone works, but uh, it's something. <laughs> he just like puts both behind his back, <laughs> thinking better of it. <laughs> I like Stamets uh, feeling hope for the first time. Yeah, that's a good moment. Yeah. Hope is back on the menu, boys. 16 different flavors of emotional powder they've discovered. Yeah. I just hate being stuck behind the guy who wants to try all the samples of that powder, though. You know, you're like a sample abuser. That's what you are. You're abusing your sampling privileges. You can't just go on sample oh, yes, after yes, sample. Yes, I can. No, I you can. can't. If I'm going in to the emotional powder shop... Uh -huh. I have an idea already of what emotional powders I want to have. Yeah. I'm uh, Look, I'm open to being surprised, but I'm pretty sure I'm going to get two scoops and the flavors of emotional powder I want. You know what? Everybody order whatever they want emotional powder-wise. I would love to take a little taste of yours if you think it's good. And yeah. then maybe I will adjust what I order next time. Hey, you know what a great way to do that is? Just kiss the cones. Just blorp. <laughs> Now I got a little bit of yours and you got a little bit of mine. Yeah. Don't put your mouth on my ice cream, though. 
Just blurp it up. I think that's a little too intimate. Well, if it's my wife's ice cream, I'm gonna oh, yeah. get a taste. Or if it's a or if we're having them in cups, you know? Sometimes you get your dust in a cone, sometimes you get your dust in a cup. I don't know, man. You know what? You and I went out for ice cream recently and I got mine in a cone and you got yours in a cup. I remember that. Really? Yeah. I almost always go for cone. Yeah. I'm always almost always in the cone zone. I remember that being notable. Hmm. If given the choice, cone <laughs> all the way. Yeah. I'll almost never get a cup. Well, it depends. If it's just cake cone, I don't really need a cake cone. I want sugar cone or waffle cone. Yeah. I mean, cake cone is a is a throwback to childhood times. Yeah. The only thing that's good about cake cone is when down at the bottom where that, that little like structural stuff is. The waffle. Yeah. If the ice cream penetrates that, I'm all about it. I wish they just made that. <laughs> the knob at the bottom that's all waffled. And just impregnated with ice cream. You could just yeah. eat them like little treats. That's the waffle cone I want. And I want it now. Wow. <laughs> the end of this scene, I really liked. The camera pans over and Book is like in the wall, listening in on Michael Pernham's conversation, feeling feelings about her. Yeah. I mean, a little creepy, a little violation of privacy, but yeah. interesting. Interesting that this is the first thing that Ndoye told him about. I don't really like giant portraits in people's homes, like of themselves. Like, I think that's kind of tacky. <laughs> uh-huh. And I think Michael Burnham really gets her come up and tear when Book puts his face up against the wall and uses the portrait's eyes <laughs> as his eyes to spy on her. Uh-huh. You get what you get when you have a portrait in your house like this. Mm-hmm. You're just asking for somebody to spy through the eyes. <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm saying exactly. Why are they even allowed to make those portraits? They never come with eye holes. Yeah. It's like, where do you even buy canvas that got the <laughs> eye holes punched out like that? It's weird. <laughs> hey, big moment. For Saru here, mm-hmm. Trina uh, asks him out on a holodeck stroll, which is just another moment of Saru being in the passenger seat of his own relationship. I would enjoy that immensely. Yeah, I can relate. Yeah. <laughs> My wife asked me out the first time we uh, decided to try things for real. It's nice. Yeah. It's good. It's good. It's perfectly good. But it happens in public again, <laughs> which which, t- which is something that uh, Stamets and Burnham really get a kick out of. It feels like love. I mean, the Vulcans are very private people. Yeah, but she's really putting him on blast. I'm surprised at how much of this is, is on Maine. Yeah. Maybe they got like less uptight about Ponfar in the last thousand years. Yeah. Since they combined with the Roms. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> This is the one area where the ROMs are libertine. <laughs> hey, yeah. We get a little scene with Adira trying to mack on Detmer. Seems like uh, Detmer is sort of open to it. Oh, game changer. Feels like it's going to be devastating for Gray. I also don't see that here. <laughs> it is okay to have a platonic workplace relationship on this show. It really is. I just think that uh, I think that this is a storyline about Adira walking away from their teenage love and into mm. a more a more grown-up milieu. Yeah, that would be nice. Adira doesn't blow it on the sit-down. I feel like socially, this is a very fraught moment, right? Yeah. You run into the person you want to hang with. They're by themselves. You want to suggest an invitation to sit down without being extremely uh, overt about it or pushy. Yeah, especially when they're drinking the blue drink of, I'm not really sure if I want company at the moment. 
Right. Yeah, this was navigated well. Good job, Adira. Good job, Adira. Thank you for that. Have you heard of Mobby? Because in Michael Burnham's quarters, she welcomes Culber in with a glass of this. And I and I looked it up. Yeah. And it's a Caribbean beverage that I read tastes a little bit like root beer. It's made out of uh, distilled tree bark. It struck me in this moment, and I feel like we either he- heard Culber or heard Wilson Cruz talk about it at some mm-hmm. point. And I, I couldn't put my finger on it, and I was like Googling to see if I could jog my memory, and I, and I didn't come up with anything. Maybe it was in one of the comic books or something? Is that possible? Yeah, maybe. I think it is. This is great hosting, yeah. by the way. Yeah, solid. If you're Burnham and you recognize a guest's interest in a kind of drink, this is perfect. Mm -hmm. Picard would never do this. Picard's like, would you like some tea? (laughs) It's what I drink and my guests. And that's it. (laughs) It's tea or wine. You choose. (laughs) (laughs) This is also kind of an intervention, right? It's like a, uh, hey, Hugh, I I noticed you've been hitting the pink dust kind of a lot lately. Mm -hmm. We're worried about you. I wrote some thoughts. It is another... I'm not okay, everyone is not okay situation. I can't feel my face. The main kind of situation. And it's the main kind of conversation. (laughs) I don't remember any other kinds. It's the main kind of exchange (laughs) on this show. It is self-parodic at this point, right? I have to like lean forward because my eyes roll. I want to be clear, like my problem with these moments is not that they're having them or that they're so willing to talk about these things, is that they they don't go anywhere. It's not like, hey, Culber, man, I see you're struggling, but we're Starfleet, you know? Scary is part of the business out here. Take some time off if you need it. Really respect what you're doing here. You're a valued member of the crew, but it's never like that. It's always my couch or yours. Yeah. Who's going to play therapist and who's going to play patient? Well, and it just seems like every episode ends with like three of these. And I don't think anyone is getting any better either. And Yeah, we're late in the season. It... I don't know whether it's necessary to show that, but I think the feeling that things are kind of in, a, in an emotional stasis yeah. is what I find frustrating. <laughs> I mean, I'd be frustrated if I was in an emotional stasis. Yeah. I'd also be frustrated if I came back to my ship and found that the guy who has been a wild card ever since I started throwing my lot in with him had taken one of my friends hostage. Book really can't be surprised here, right? Would anything surprise Book at this point? He does look surprised. <laughs> he he plays it. I mean, Jet, of all possibilities, is maybe the funniest Mm-hmm. person to kidnap yeah like as hostages go best one for entertainment value i live to serve yeah i like i like that tarka has cleared books bed out and <laughs> imprisoned yeah. jet among the like dog food containers <laughs> what are those yeah like so in addition to jet did tarka also take jet supplies <laughs> like it's <laughs> oh we got to get some jet kibble and <laughs> it's Ractagino and a cot <laughs> Uh, Did this episode have the supplies to make you like it, Ben? Backing out the kinds of scenes that are getting annoying to have? Yes. Like, there's so many interesting ideas in this episode. It's like an interesting away mission. It's interesting track that they're laying about what the 10C might be like. I think that it's really fun to have a the bad guys are doing a behind enemy lines mission 
in the good guys territory storyline because that's mm-hmm. kind of an angle that you never see. And yeah. I wish they'd done more with what a violation that could feel like from the perspective of the disco crew. Maybe they will still yeah. in the moment when it is revealed. But yeah, like I'm I am fatigued as hell by the trauma transference scenes at this point. I gotta say. Just their depiction isn't enough. I wish the show had a point of view or an interest in suggesting how a person is able to balance duty and conscience. Right. Like, because this is all conscience, conscience, conscience. Mm-hmm. And it's duty for Michael Burnham, basically. And everyone else is, is allowed to have their consciences override everything else in their lives. But one of the bright spots of this show has always been the depiction of characters with feelings and how okay it is to have those feelings and how feeling weird or outcast or whatever is normal and fine. Yeah. But it doesn't take that second step in giving people like, not that you need a roadmap for this, but just suggesting that there is a way to contribute to a cause or a crew or a mission in a way that allows for a conscience, but still demands professionalism. And one way that this show clangs over and over for me is like just how unprofessional everyone is. I really liked the little storyline with Detmer uh, last season where she was having trouble and worked through it. And yeah. Came out the other side and it... Why is no one working through it this season? Yeah, it just feels like they keep getting worse and worse and making worse decisions as a result. A great decision that this show has made this season is not showing us what's happening on any other ship and with any other crew, Mm -hmm. because I think that would only magnify (laughs) this problem we're having with the crew at the moment, right? Yeah. Like, could you imagine this crew integrating with any other crew on any other ship? These these people would drive them crazy. This crew at this point, if they ran into the Enterprise under Captain Pike now. Yeah. Like, it would be, <laughs> it would be so striking how, how buttoned up the Enterprise crew was relative to the Discovery crew. He would have taken command even faster <laughs> than he did at the end of that season. Hoping some episodes coming out next that will uh, turn the, the ship around. Because, uh, yeah, I've definitely felt like Discovery's stock has been going down a little bit lately. Two episodes left. Buy low. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> I've got hope. Yeah. This show tends to... For the circuitous way it chooses to get there, like it does rise to the occasion of its own season finale most of the time. It sure has. Yeah. And thinking back on this season so far, like that it has had some like really fun moments and Mm -hmm. really interesting ideas. And I'm not like super, super dead on it or anything, but I, you know, it's just fatiguing. So hopefully these last two episodes are about pulling out of the emotional rut that the show feels like it's in. Yeah. Yeah. Adam, you know what's never in an emotional rut is the priority one inbox. That's a totally different rut. It's always a high point. That's a fun rut. <laughs> That's a thing, right? Mm-hmm. No? Mm. Fun ruts? Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Ben, our first priority one message is from Zed. The message is to Kyle. And in parentheses, it says Kyle Prime. With the real Nancy. And that message goes like this. Thought I'd throw some cash at Ben and Adam to thank you 
for a great STA pen and paper game. Oh. My Vulcan character, Tolvaus's death was epic. <laughs> Blown out into the cold vacuum of space in a sacrifice to save his ship. BNA would be proud slash jealous. No kidding. You have been and always shall be my friend. LLAP, PSGLHF, in your cage match with your MU counterpart. <laughs> so it sounds like Kyle's character lives on. Yeah. Boy, it sucks to watch. You're, you're doing a lot of Dungeons and Dragons lately, right? I, I've played Dungeons and Dragons twice. But like when character death happens, do you just like, you just got to sit there? Uh, we haven't gotten far enough into the game for me to know what, what would happen in that wow. context. Yeah, I don't know. Keeping my fingers crossed that my character doesn't buy it. Right. Yeah, stay away from the cage matches. I like my guy. Also, maybe if you want to keep playing the game, don't sacrifice yourself <laughs> uh, to save your ship. Maybe uh, maybe save yourself. The game I'm playing is like is set in a much more like Skyrim-style uh, environment, so I don't right. think anybody's going to get exposed to hard vacuum. <laughs> you never know. I guess not. Adam, our next priority one message is from Trevor, and it's to Ben and Adam, and it goes like this. Uxbridge House mugs are great! They make even better cocktail glasses. After hearing Ben talk about coconut water, I made something that you should try. It's equal parts gold rum, dark rum, Averna, and coffee liqueur. Mm. Shake and top with coconut water over ice. I call it El Cerdito. Your podcasts are a joy, and I love the hard work. Wow, thanks, Trevor. Great message by Trevor. Great cocktail recipe by Trevor. I'm going to have to try that. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds good. Trevor mentioned something that I think bears repeating. Mm. I really like a fun glass for a cocktail. Sure. But sometimes a mug is perfect. Yeah, a mug is good. Just put your cocktail in a mug. It's got a handle. <laughs> a friend of mine just got me a, a Captain Kirk tiki mug. So I'm going to be I'm going to be mugging wow. some cocktails left and right. Does it have a handle though? No, I think it's like the same line as the uh, Captain Picard yeah. one that you've got. Hey, that's fun. Yeah. Thank you uh, for that recipe, Trevor. Thank you for getting an Uxbridge House mug. I'm not really sure what happened with those. We are, we've had some some real trouble with the uh, fulfillment on Podshop.biz. We've we've learned a lot and uh, have made many mistakes, but we're working on getting Podshop.biz set up in a way that is a little bit more reliable and we aren't always running out of stuff. And uh, I, I was so happy with how the Uxbridge House mugs came out and I wish we still had some to sell, but I kind of think we ran out, right? I would expect in the coming months, things behind the scenes at Podshop.biz to change in such a way that maybe it'll be a more reliable source for our merch and some favorites like the Uxbridge House mug may return at some point. Yeah. If you would like to get a Priority One message, head to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. We're really burning through them right now because we're doubling up episodes for Discovery and Picard. So you can get one on pretty quickly, it looks like. And uh, we encourage you to do so. It helps us keep the lights on around here. Sure does. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you discover yourself an Edward Larkin? I'm going to give it to Culber. Going back for a little bit more drugs. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to earn you an Edward Larkin. Going back for seconds or thirds at that point. 
I wonder what other pheromones the dots found down there. Were the dots just having like a totally unhinged party down on the surface of the planet? I wanted this shot of the dots beamed back to the cargo bay, just covered in colored <laughs> dust, like they, <laughs> like they were at that festival in India. Yeah, I, I don't think I could choose against Culber either. And also, like, especially, it takes some guts to do that because Culber is kind of new to the away team game. Yeah, yeah. Like the on mission game, even, and it was worth the risk for him. Yeah, it's cool to get another dab. <laughs> I thought it was weird he rubbed it on his gums, though. Yeah. Took off his helmet. Seemed a little bit professional grade, the way way he did that. Like, you've done this before, you. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Wow. Well, that will do it for today's episode in the credits. Hopefully you'll hear a little bit more about next week's episode of Star Trek Discovery. But come back on Friday for another episode of The Greatest Discovery. With uh, our coverage of Star Trek Picard. We're in our three episodes a week span of time here. Yeah. Hope you're enjoying the extra programming as much as we're enjoying making it. Couldn't do it without our producer, though. Yeah. And uh, here she is to take us home. Thanks, Wendy. The Greatest Discovery is an expert Shimoda podcast on the Maximum Fun Network. It's hosted by Ben Harrison and Adam Pranica. It's produced and edited by Wendy Pretty. This week on Friday, we have another special episode of The Greatest Discovery covering Star Trek Picard Season 2, Episode 2. It's called Penance. Look for that episode in your feed on Friday. Then next week on Tuesday, we'll be back to review Star Trek Discovery Season 4, Episode 12. It's called Species 10C. As the DMA approaches Earth and Navarre, Captain Burnham and the crew of the USS Discovery attempt to make first contact with the powerful species responsible before it's too late. Thank you to the great Adam Ragusea, who's responsible for the original music you hear on this show. Also want to say thanks to the card daddy, Bill Tilly, who manages the at Greatest Trek social media accounts on Instagram and Twitter. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again this week with more of The Greatest Discovery. Waffle. Yeah. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.